You're listening to The Whole Testament, a podcast putting the Old and New Testaments back together. In this episode, Matt, Dave, and Fred dish over the significance of the Feast of Shavuot. It's a heavy meal, but these guys will leave you wanting more. If you have questions and want to continue the conversation, send us an email at thewholetestament at gmail.com or leave us a comment. So, Matt, you can start us. <clears throat> camera one? Camera two? You gotta look at it. <laughs> <I'll look laughs> camera one? I don't need to know. Camera, I just... <laughs> camera one? You just changed camera it. Two. Does it matter? Three. Camera one, camera two. Oh, my goodness. Well, I don't know if I can use any of that. Welcome <laughs> to the entree episode for the Feast of Weeks, also known as the Feast of Shavuot. I felt the spirit on me during this one, preparing for this. Um, I've got, along with all the years, like I think I first taught on Shavuot in like 2002 or three. So a long time that I first was started studying. And um, so I've got all those years. And then in the last few weeks, I've just spent, hours and hours, probably six or seven hours working through scriptures, sitting with God, trying to say, okay, how are we going to work through this? So uh, all that to say, I feel a sense of seriousness on this episode because I think it matters a lot in our faith. And um, it's also, I'm going to challenge all of you who are with me here and those who are with us over there or in your in our in your ears um, that don't quit on the episode if it gets deep. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna have to really wrestle wrestle with some. I'm gonna wrestle with it. You're gonna wrestle. We're gonna really have to wrestle with some of these passages and think through the language to really grasp what's being said because some of them are passages we've heard before and we may have. A, a, a misunderstanding maybe on what the author is trying to communicate, okay? So there's going to be a lot of theology in here and some people have said, oh, some of it's over my head. It can't be over your head because this is your faith. Like this is like this most significant part of who we are is our relationship to our creator. So don't just skip out. Don't just skip out because you're like, it's over my head, all right? Do the work. Do we got to work. work at it. Yeah, do the work. Do the work. Oh, yeah. So. wrestle. Well, now that we've lost 90% of the people, we're going to move on. All right, talking about it. Uh, the Feast of Shavuot. Um, so just do you want to, let's start in, uh, Deuteronomy 26, Ooh. 1, 11. So we're going to have a little bit of a historical overview on the holiday to start, and then we'll get into theology. So 
Cool. Fred, do you want to read that? I do. I do want to read it. Uh, <clears throat> so this is Deuteronomy 26, starting with the first verse, right? Oh, hang on, hang on. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Today I have Fred with me. Hi. He's. This is yep. Fred. I'm he's, Fred. He's Fred. And yep. then we also have Matt... R- <laughs> That's the only time I'm going to do it. I promise. <laughs> so, thanks to uh, generous donation by one of our listeners, um, we were able to upgrade our sound capturing device to Very make nice. it Very nice. a lot easier on Fred on the back end for editing the audio. So it should get. Uh, a good audio and have less less work because we all have real jobs <laughs> and so we don't have a ton of time for this, which is why there's been a, quite a delay since in between the episodes over the winter time. But um, and it's got fun toys and so Fred yep. Fred wanted to use that. It's the only time it's not going to happen. Again. Yeah, I doubt <laughs> it. I bet it happens again. I'm, so I don't know what to do with my <laughs> so today we have with us Matt Riley. He has been on a previous episode. Um, we sat down and just he asked me a bunch of questions, which I really thought was good. Um, so I asked him to come back today because I thought that he would do a good job of maybe asking the questions. No pressure. <laughs> now I'm adding this pressure. Ooh. Asking the questions that maybe the people who are not in the room with us might have. So I think you do a good job with that. So here's Matt here with us. So, I'm just going to take in all the questions I know they're going to ask later on when they're listening right now. Just take them in. Yep. Right? All, all right. Them. Absorb. Done. All right. Good. Resorb. So he's ready. He's ready. He's ready for to, to represent all the y'alls. All right, Fred, let's do okay. this. <clears throat> when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you. And you shall put it in a basket and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. The holidays were a huge communal thing. And so what would happen is like, say we're the city of Decatur, everybody in the city of Decatur, we're going to travel to where God chose to put his name, which is Jerusalem. Uh So we're going to travel from wherever we are in Israel or even outside of Israel back to Jerusalem. And so everybody in the town would get together and they would all have their first fruits that they had marked. So um, at the end of Passover or in the middle of Passover, you begin to count seven weeks until this holiday. And so that's the time in the spring when the, the grapes and pomegranates and figs and all this start to ripen. And so what they would do is when they would see the first one, so any, anybody that has a garden out there, you know, you go out and you see your first fruit, they would tie a little, re, a little cord around it. And so as it grew, they would know this is the first oh. fruit, right? Mm. <clears throat> Was there a... Was there like a color to it or is it just like, it was just like a cord? I think it was just a cord. Okay. I don't know. Okay, okay. It could be a, a color. So they, they did this every year? Yes. So is it similar to a tithe in that sense? With, uh, yeah, with Not with the finances, like but with tithe. your food? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, we, and that's the one, we don't have time to talk about tithing. Sometime we will, but we just think tithe is a 10%. But in the scriptures, there's like three or four different tithes, right? So it's not just a... 10% of everything. It's like there's the tithe of the first fruits, the tithe that goes to the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, the Levite in the town, the tithe, you know, that's 
over an abundance of what God has given me. So there's just like a bunch of different things. So this is, yes, one of the tithes mm-hmm. is okay. the first fruit. So we'd wait. And then when it was time to go seven sevens, 49 days on the 50th day, we would be in Jerusalem and we would come into the town and offer this. So everybody in the town is gathering their fruits that they marked at the very beginning into the baskets and bowls. Um, and if it's a really long ways away, you can sell that stuff for money so that you don't have to try to transport it to Jerusalem and, and risk it rotting or you know whatever. Um, so you can sell it for money. And when you get to Jerusalem, you buy all the things that you want to celebrate with and you put them in your baskets and you go to the priests. And so they would go, everybody would sleep in the town square, you know, um, at the night before so that everybody would make sure that they weren't somehow rendered unclean. And then they would all travel together, the whole town to Mm -hmm. Jerusalem. Like how awesome, like, can you imagine like the holiday sense of excitement that your kids would have that, you know, it's like, hey, we're all going on a vacation together to Jerusalem to worship God. I think that's pretty, that would be pretty awesome. (laughs) Yeah, and they would have like an ox that they would dress with gold and on its horns and put the basket on there as they come into Jerusalem and the the priest who was sitting there in in, um, power at that time would greet everybody as they came into Jerusalem with trumpets and dancing and how awesome, like what an amazing like thing to think about as they came in. So that's, so they're going where they choose to place his name. And then when they got there, they would go to the temple and they would say, uh, so start in uh, Deuteronomy 26, three. So in verse three, and you shall go to the priest who is in office at the time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a great a nation great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians, Egyptians treat us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me, and you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. All right, so you bring it before God, you lay it down, and then you celebrate. You just have this huge party afterwards. We're in verse five where it says, and shall you shall make responsible to God. A wandering air man was, is that like something every year that they would? Yeah. And so the high, the priest would speak it like, so you wouldn't have to have it memorized. The, right. the priest mm-hmm. would say, a wandering air man was my father. Repeat after me. A wandering mm-hmm. air man was my father. Right. And so like, if you, if you pay attention to those words, it's basically saying here is all the blessing that God has blessed me with this year. Right. And as I take the first of it all, I have to go and be in front of, in his presence and say, I was a slave in Egypt. I was, I was 
tortured. We were, we were held captive and you brought me out. And it's because you brought me out that I can stand here today in the land you promised me and offer these first fruits to you, right? So the holiday is marked by being brought out of Egypt. In fact, if we read in Leviticus 23, where it talks about the holiday, it says, um, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath. From the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. So um, the the holiday, it's, it's a unique holiday in the fact that of all the other holidays, like you have Passover, the sacrifice of the lamb on, at the 14th on twilight, on the 15th of the month begins the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You've got um, like the Feast of Trumpets on the first day of the seventh month. You got Yom Kippur on the 10th day of the seventh month. Uh, you got Sukkot on the 15th day of the seventh month. Every day, every holiday has a date. Shavuot does not have a date. It's 50 days after or the day after the seventh Sabbath from Passover. So it is directly connected to Passover, to coming out of Egypt. In fact, if you like uh, look at like the Passover Seder, like we just did those episodes on the, and if you look at that, there are four, we talked about four cups. There's four cups in there. I will free from the, yoke of the Egyptians, I will deliver you from bondage. I will redeem you with outstretched arms and mighty acts of judgment. I will take you to be your God and I will be your, and you will be, I will take you and be your God and you will be my people. That fourth cup is what happens um, 50 days after Passover. So when they leave Egypt, 50 days later, they're at Mount Sinai. And that is when God takes them. Like that fourth cup is actually the final cup of Passover. So the culmination of Passover actually happens on Shavuot or the Feast of Weeks. It's like when Passover is actually finished, like this whole thing, this whole plan happens on Shavuot where they're out in the wilderness and God actually takes them to be his bride. Okay? Hmm. Questions? Or so you're talking about two different things there, but they're connected. Correct? But they're the same. Yes. I'm trying. So, I'm trying. So it's super significant. And I would also like to say, like, um, if you if you have not listened to the appetizer episode for this. Shame on you. If you don't know what I mean by appetizer, like uh, this is too much information. You can go to our website and it <clears throat> talks about what what we're doing and it will explain why I say appetizer, entree, dessert. But you need to listen to the appetizer because my brother walks through like the connection between Mount, what happens 50 days after Passover, Mount Sinai, and then the coincidence, no, not a coincidence, of what happens 50 days after the crucifixion, which is what in um, the Christian church we call Pentecost, like Acts chapter two says, on the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one room and then the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they overlap and it's amazing. And you you need to go right now to stop because you have to have that information. And to you continue. might need to listen to it twice. 
Or I listened you? to it twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, right? I mean, it's it's a lot. It's so unbelievable the, the detail and the significance that God has already set in place, right? The idea of that quick overview is God gave the Holy Spirit with the exact same signs and wonders, the tongues of fire, the speaking other languages, um, writing his, putting his law in their hearts, um, as he did at Mount Sinai when he gave the Torah. And so my question would be, now that you've watched the episode a couple times and you've processed it a little bit. Wait, is what episode? The, the appetizer... <laughs> The appetizer episode. My question would be then, why, why, what's the point? What was God trying to communicate? I'm interested in Fred's thoughts. <laughs> I mean, I it it seems like that he he was trying to point to the significance of what had just happened, being around centered around a feast but it would be like a marker for the this is like this is starting something new right? okay yeah, yeah i like it okay so it's yeah point marker done i was gonna say uh there's the pieces in the old testament and the new testament that uh, mirror each other at times mm-hmm. so this is seems like one of those times as well um yeah I, i'm not gonna go into all the different you can go through examples if you want but you know, when you look through the Old Testament and like, wow, this seems mm-hmm. very similar. Mm-hmm. You go through the New Testament, like, wow, like, did I just read that? Mm-hmm. I think this might be like one of those times as well. So it's it's nothing new in the Bible if you're trying to see where the similarities between the pesky white page. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's what I would say: new thing, absolutely. Yeah. I believe it. I believe that what what the Old Testament was pointing toward something that God intended all along is like, we're gonna, I'm going to do something new. And so um, here's where, uh, this is where now we're going to move in. We're out of the history. Now we're going to move into, okay, so what's the point of all this? Why is God doing this and how does it affect us? And this is where it's going to get a little bit more intense. Mm, I'm ready. Okay. Um, it is my opinion that this is God marking the beginnings of the new covenant. So the Old Testament is, for the first time, God is not just the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He, in the Passover story, the Shavuot, Mount Sinai story, takes a group of people, not individuals, and makes them his people. He takes a nation and says, these are my people, this nation, the nation of Israel, and then begins to use them to move throughout history, intending to represent him to the, to the people. It says in, I think, Isaiah, that they are to be a light to the nations, right? Well, we know, this, we know the plight of humanity, and they didn't do that very well. Sometimes they did a really good job. Sometimes they didn't do a very good job. And so... God says, I'm going to do something new in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 37 talks about this phrase, um, <coughs> the new covenant. So mm-hmm. why don't you read that? All, all of it? Uh, 31, 31 through 37. Okay. 
Uh, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And so just stopping here, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Yeah. That is that same, it's that fourth cut. Co- <laughs> Other hand, wrong hand. <laughs> I can't use that hand. That'll be the fourth cup in the uh, Passover Seder. That's that same language. So he's talking about bringing you out of Egypt. So that, And then that fourth cup, which is, should in our minds, I will take you to be your God and you'll be my people, should put us at Mount Sinai when we hear that. Mm-hmm. Because that's when that happened originally. So this is, took you out of Egypt, put you at Sinai. I gave you the covenant, you broke the covenant. So I'm gonna do a new thing and I'm going to put it within you. Okay, so you can continue there. Okay. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. All right, so the new covenant. Now, when we say that word, when I say those two words, new covenant, mm-hmm. what comes to your mind? <laughs> Fred, quick, quick to turn to, to defer to Matt. I'd like to defer I'd, to I'd Matt. I'd like to defer to Matthew. I think that's fair since I deferred to him earlier. <laughs> I, I suppose. That... Are you going to defer my deferral? <laughs> so just the words new covenant was the... What does it come to your mind when you think new covenant? So the... First thing I think of when I hear the new covenant, I hear of a promise that's replacing the other promise. Uh-huh. That's that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, that's that's what I would have thought too. So this new replaces the old. Yeah, you trade in your car for a new car. A new but car. not in case of the New Testament and the Old Testament because it doesn't do that. So now I'm questioning my answer. More. <laughs> what have you been told? What have we been told? What's the traditional understanding of the new covenant? You know what, I, I don't need you to answer that. We can look at what, we can just go to some scriptures, okay? Would you rather do that or would you rather answer it? We can go to scriptures. I'll keep my answer <laughs> in the back of the head in case I'm like, yes, this is what I was thinking. <laughs> so how about um, Fred, why don't, why don't you read, do you have Hebrews 7, 8, Hebrews 8, 7? Yeesh. Just read verse 7, please. Okay. For if that first covenant, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. All right, Matt, right here, Galatians three ten. I didn't bring an iPad on purpose. I wasn't. You gonna... didn't want to have to read. You don't want people to know. I'm a banker, but I can't read. I'm bad at English, man. <laughs> Galatians three ten. Yeah. Okay. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. All right. These are all really good passages. Hebrews 9, 13. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete and is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So. That all sounds like. I'm right. Yeah, you're right. Good job. Done. Podcast over. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) So what, what we have done. What we have been given, you know, inherited is um, that when Jesus died on the cross, 
He did away with the old covenant because it was old and vanishing away, which is what Hebrew says. It was becoming obsolete and growing old. So we have a new covenant. So we take the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible, the covenant that the children of Israel were under, and it's been done away with, is no, not, no longer binding, because now we are under a new covenant, the covenant of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and grace. And so now we're no longer required to do all this stuff that's back in the back of here. Are you arguing against yourself or no, are you setting I'm saying, yourself up? <laughs> is this, is, would you agree that this is how we understand the phrase new covenant? Yes. Yes. Okay, good. But I, I know you're going to argue against it. No, I, I'm just, we're going to look at the scriptures. Yeah, I, I don't agree with that. I don't. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that the giving of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, on the day they're celebrating the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, I don't believe God gave the Holy Spirit to the children of Israel to say, or to the disciples in the upper room or wherever they were at the time when the Spirit came to say, okay, these are my people. They're no longer bound by any of the stuff that you guys are all holding on to. And anybody that's holding on to this is in the old covenant and needs to come over. And those 3,000 that are baptized that day are baptized into a brand new faith, a brand new religion that has nothing, that is, is no longer has a list of requirements like the old one had. I don't agree with that. And so I'm gonna try. This is where it's gonna get hard because we're gonna to have to look at some passages of scripture um, to see if maybe. What is coming into my head right now is the, and I don't quote the passages, you quote the passages. Okay. It's the passage uh, everyone's getting upset of what do people have to do in order to I think that be Jewish. Jerusalem, um, the Jerusalem Council. That's Acts chapter fifteen. See, yes. Where, where it, like, what is the minimum they have to do? Yes. That's that's what this is reminding me of a little bit. Okay, with, right. how, with how you're setting it up. Yes. Uh, where they don't have to do this, they only have to do four, four things. things. Yeah. yeah, there Oof. are four things. Good job, Matt. <laughs> there are four things that they're required to fulfill in order to be followers. Uh, the thing about that is the very first line in Acts chapter 15. Uh, let me pull this out. Um, in Acts 15, the very first sentence is what defines the conversation for that passage. Some of the men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. Here's the deal. They got together because they were debating, what do you have to have to be saved? You have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Okay, so the debate in Acts 15 is about requirements of salvation. Do you have to follow all of this in order to be saved? No, you don't. Okay. That's a whole thing. Maybe one day we'll get onto that. <laughs> but that's what they're talking about. We're not doing that today. Uh-huh. We're yeah, not yeah, doing yeah. that today. But you're so, it is that whole, but that's another passage where we say, look, it's different now. 
because you only have to do these four things. Here's what we're going to do. So I'm going to try to address this idea that the new covenant did away with the old covenant. It's no longer necessary or needed because we're now under the new covenant. And so we no longer have to abide by or really care much at all about the first five books here of what God says, this is what my people are to look like. No, that's in done away with because of Jesus. So how we're going to do that is, I have an illustration that I think is pretty cool that God gave me um, while I was studying this and thinking about how to communicate this in a good way. Um, in 1942, uh, the state of New York outlawed pinball machines um, because it was taking the people's attention away from the war effort. This was on like Fox News and the history history.com, the History Channel. Um, they outlawed it. Over 2,000 machines were confiscated. Several other large cities like Chicago, some in California, California, all over the country followed the same thing and outlawing these and making it criminal to play pinball or to have pinball machines because it was like all, all the equipment should be going to the war effort. It was taking people's focus off of what we're really trying to accomplish here. And so they outlawed them. There's actually a picture of like the... Um, Chief of Police, I believe it could have been the mayor of New York with a sledgehammer smashing a pinball machine, <laughs> right? Um, and so, uh, and, and it wasn't until in 1974, the state of California actually did away with this law. It may still be, this is one of those, like it may still be on the books in some of these other cities, <laughs> but um, at least I, we know that in 1974, California repealed the law. Um, so my question would be then, can you, can you be arrested for right now for playing pinball? No. This isn't a trick question, right? It is. <laughs> I'm sure. I feel like it might be a trick no. question. <laughs> no, in California where they've repealed the law, can you be arrested for playing pinball? No. False. No. Okay. Why? Why not? Because it's not the law. Right, so so playing pinball, pinball is no longer against the law. It's it's been repealed. It's no longer valid. It's an old, outdated, obsolete law, and we're no longer held accountable to it. Huh? Okay, right. See right? where you're going. So it's similar, right, to yeah. what we say about the old covenant. It's the pinball machine thing. We're not allowed to play pinball. Well, that's no longer a rule anymore. Okay. Now in Romans five thirteen. Um, it actually supports this argument. Romans 5.13 says, sin is not counted where there is no law. All right? Okay. Now, Hello. you with me? Follow me, because this is where we got to stay, stay in line with so Dave's, crazy, Dave's crazy thoughts. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, keep going. Cause I, okay, because yeah. you're not sure where I'm going, so you're not really <laughs> sure you want to agree with what's happening well, right now because you I, don't want to get sucked in. Because I think you're arguing <laughs> against yourself again. I know, I am. <laughs> That's why I'm confused. I am, right. I'm like, okay. What yeah, I'm so doing, so basically what I'm doing is I'm, I am allowing you and anybody that's listening to say, I fully understand your argument and I'm using your scriptures to prove your argument. I am aware of all those. Okay, so when I say the next, when we get through the rest of this, um, people can't say, yeah, well, Galatians says this, because I already used Galatians 
right? I'm aware of these scriptures. I'm aware of the verses in the text that seem to say the old covenant is done away with. It's no longer valid. We no longer need to use it. We're not under it anymore. We're under a new covenant, which is just about grace and the blood of Jesus. And so all this at the beginning of the book doesn't matter. I'm aware of it. Okay. That's why I started there. All right. Okay. Yeah, but yeah. now I'm going to use scripture and logic to say, well, maybe we may, maybe that's not actually correct. That's where we're going next. Okay. Hebrews 9, 15. Now this is where we got to think. Okay. Cause we're reading a passage of scripture. We may have read before we read right over it and we don't break it down. We don't think about what it's actually saying. We just read over it. Hebrews 9.15, therefore he, Jesus, is a mediator, is the mediator of a new covenant, okay? New covenant, all right? So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. That Acts 15 debate about who's saved is really who's a part of the promised eternal inheritance. What do we do with the Gentiles? The promise was given to the Israelites. What if you're not Israel? How do you get to be a part of the inheritance? Well, you can, some people were saying you can't. You have to become a Jew to have a part of the promised eternal inheritance. That's what Acts 15 is about. That's what the book of Galatians is about. Do I have to convert and become Jewish to have a part in this promised eternal inheritance? Okay. And Acts 15 is saying, no, you don't have to convert, but you do have to change a few things so that you can be a part of the community because there are some things you just can't do in our community, which we would agree with, you know, people mm-hmm. that come to, to faith in Jesus need to, if you're a murderer, if you're slinging drugs on the street, you're probably going to need to stop doing that so that probably. you can maintain community with us, right? Yeah. So we would agree with that. Um That's what they're saying. And so here, the Hebrew, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised internal inheritance. The new covenant now he's saying is not just your birth, right? That you were born Israel, but it's for those who are called. Jesus has opened up the door for those who are called, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, Since... And I looked up that word since. This is one of the things that as I've learned to study my scriptures, like we read a word, Jesus mm-hmm. is a mediator of a new promising internal covenant since the death has occurred that redeemed. And I'm just like, since, what does since mean? Like, I know what it means in English, but maybe it doesn't mean that in the Greek, which was what this was written in. So I want to know what that word means. And so I looked it up and it's like, with the design or to the end that. Okay, so... This is where you got to think. You got to stay with me. I'm trying. Trying. Jesus, mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called, the ones who are called out, may receive the promised internal inheritance. With the design or to the end of that, the whole point was this was put together because of a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. There's a lot of words there. Mm -hmm. So Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant for the called out ones, for those who have been called. So they receive the internal inheritance, life everlasting, 
get to go to heaven, get to be a part of the community of, of faith that at one point was just your nationality, but now it's bigger than I'm Israel. And it says, um, because or since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. A death has occurred that redeems. I looked up the word redeems and it is a releasing affected by payment of ransom. Okay. So redeems, we have the word redeems. It's, it's almost like you're taken hostage <clears throat> and you have a million dollar, million dollar ransom on your head. Ooh. And I pay, well, let's make it more realistic, of $30 ransom on your head. Oh, wow. that's and more I true. Pay, <laughs> okay, that, that's better. I pay, I pay the $30. Well, I'll pay half if Fred will pay the other half. Do you take Venmo? Um, it's not him. Oh, sorry. To get me. So I will pay. So so I come and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to ransom him. I'm going to pay the ransom amount so that you can be set free from captivity. Okay. So it says, we're in this internal eternal inheritance. The ones who've been called since or with the design that are because a death has occurred that paid your ransom from captivity. Sounds like Egypt, right? out of captivity, right? Releasing or, or redeems them from the transgressions. We say sin, sin, transgression, iniquity. Um, I looked this word up and it, the, the understanding is a going over or disregarding. So a looking past, going over, skipping, or a disregarding, seeing it and just being like, nah, I'm not interested disregarding or going over of committed under the first covenant. Committed under the first covenant. So I'm going to try to squish all this together. I just wanted you to see this is the proof text of what I'm about to say. The new covenant, Jesus becomes the mediator for those who are called out because we have been bought our ransom has been paid for the, the skipping over of the first covenant. For the times that we skipped over or disregarded the first covenant. That's where the sin is, the first covenant. Okay, so if the pinball machine is no longer illegal, then there is no sin. If the old covenant, the first covenant is no longer binding, then there is no sin. Then I don't need redeemed because the redemption is for the sins or the omissions or the transgressions or the disregarding of the first covenant. But if there is no first covenant, I'm not disregarding anything and I no longer need a savior. I don't need redeemed. Jesus is his name, Christ alone the way he reigns. Although we come again in faith, grateful for your grace, Christ alone be praised always. Is 
there wouldn't be the opportunity to... And I'm going to have a couple of negative, double negatives, I think. So if this doesn't make sense, I'll rephrase. <laughs> there wouldn't be the opportunity to not have the first covenant if the new covenant didn't come along. So it couldn't be old or done away with if something didn't replace it. So in your pinball example, there was a law and they had to, it's almost like the constitution, they have these amendments that change anything that's prior, add new. Mm -hmm. So they have the law, then they have this new law that just repeals that law. Mm -hmm. With the covenant, they have it, they have the new one, but it wouldn't be old and you wouldn't have Okay, so I do. I totally. I one hundred percent. I one hundred percent get what you're saying. Okay, and that's my next point. <laughs> right. You're welcome. So we're gonna get. We will get. We're gonna go to that <laughs> next. Okay. Um, we about the new law replacing the old law. Right. However, in this verse, in our scriptures, in our New Testament scriptures, it says the death of Jesus was to redeem us from our sins under the of the old covenant. That's the point of his death. So if we're not under that covenant, we don't need his death. If we haven't transgressed, we have nothing to be redeemed from. So that should make us pause at least and say, wait a minute. If we're under a new covenant, then we haven't transgressed the old covenant. So we don't need redemption from it. But he's saying the way we get into this eternal inheritance is because he did redeem us from the sins that we did against the old covenant, the first covenant. So now, let's pause on that a second. Okay, now we're going to move on. What about the new laws or the new rules, right? So we're going to look at the new covenant. Hebrews 8, 6 through 13. Let's see. Let's Fred, Let's read that. Can you do that for me? Yep. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Right? So there's problems with the first... I cut you off, sorry. There's <laughs> problems, right? The first covenant had, was, had fault. Otherwise, we wouldn't need a second covenant, right? So it was, it was obviously flawed. There was some, it was flawed. The first covenant was flawed. Do you agree that that's what that just said? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> I'm baiting you in. I <laughs> love it. Verse 8. Okay, for he finds fault with them when he says... Wait, wait, wait. He oh. what? Say that again. For he finds fault with them. Them. Go ahead. When he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Okay. So right now he's quoting. So that we're reading the book of Hebrews, and Hebrews is quoting Jeremiah, the previous passage we read about the new covenant being prophesied. Okay, go ahead. Okay, verse 9. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. 
After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. Okay. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. What's the new Now covenant? I'm done with the verse. What's the new covenant? That he is within us. Writing his laws on Writing our hearts. Writing what on his heart? Laws. The laws. laws. On our hearts. Yeah. New laws? He says my laws. So here's the deal. This uh, is what the new test this is what the new covenant is. This is what the both the old and the new testament say. The problem with the covenant was not the covenant, it was with the people that he made the covenant with, because the people were unable to continue in his covenant. So the second covenant, the new covenant, is God saying, I'm gonna take you. The, the factor that screwed it all up in the first place out of it. And I'm gonna put my spirit on you, the Holy Spirit coming on the same day. It was like the first covenant is symbolized by Mount Sinai and God giving the law. The new covenant is symbolized by the day of Pentecost when he gives his Holy Spirit on his people. He says, I'm gonna put my spirit on you and I'm gonna write my laws in your hearts so that you will never, no longer will you say, know the Lord, because everybody will know them. No longer will you have sin because you're gonna have it written in your hearts, right? The covenant, the new covenant doesn't, isn't, the commands aren't what change. It's the mode of transmission of the commands that change. God's laws are his laws. He's the one. Moses didn't say to do all this. God said to do all this. Do we actually believe? Okay, it was like, God was like, well, man, I guess I really screwed that one up. That was just way too hard for these here people. He said it in that accent? Yeah, I don't know. That's I amazing. feel like God's probably Southern. It's probably Southern. Southern. Oh, I need the God voice. <laughs> 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 that's, really good. That, that's, that's what I'm picturing. That was it, right there. Not, not Southern. That was right there. <laughs> Fred said he was done. I never said I was done. <laughs> yeah, so like God is just, he's like up there sitting in heaven and he's just like, man, I really, I messed that up. What I did was I set the bar way too high. They're just not capable. These people, they just can't keep it. They just can't do it. Is my bad. I'm going to lower the bar way down so then it'll make it where they can do it because my standards of holiness are just, they just can't keep it. They just can't, they can't be it. So I'm just going to drop the bar and say, this is what I believe holiness should be. Be holy, therefore, as I am holy, which he says over and over as he's giving out what you should eat and not eat. Be holy, but that holiness level is way too high for these people. <laughs> so we're gonna drop the bar way down. In fact, we'll just take that one out and you can just, there are no rules. You can just do what you want. The fault is with us. Indeed. It's not with his laws, his holiness, his commands. The fault is with us. It's, it's all about the pinball, okay? The pinball machines. The pinball machines, weren't the problem really. The pinball machines, the reason why they outlawed the pinball machines in the article I read was because that it was taking the people's attention away from the war efforts. You see... Um, it was a distraction. It, it, God says, be holy. And this is these, these things that he lists out are all pinball machines that are just taking our way, our, our, our 
attention, our focus, they're all just distraction from what he says. So let's look at Romans 7, 7. This, we're going to talk about this same thing. This Paul says basically it's a pinball machine. Okay. Because they had these back in the first century. <clears throat> he was a, the first pinball wizard. Yes. <laughs> uh, 7, 7, you said? Yeah, 7, 7 through 12, I, I believe. Uh, when then shall we say? What, what then shall what we say? Then, what then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would I would not have known sin. Okay, so here's Paul. Paul's the one that says that anyone who's under the law is under a curse in Galatians. Okay, mm-hmm. he's the same author as we're reading this. Same pinball wizard. Yeah, the same same guy. That was a couple of those passages we had earlier that were like pro, the law's been abolished and we're no longer under it, is he just said, um, if it had not been for the law, I would have not known what sin is. Where there is no law, there is no sin. Okay, go ahead. Uh, For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So the law in the New Testament is holy, righteous, and good. The problem is, is that the law, I was thinking about this this morning as I was um, looking over this, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. And then it was like, when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. It's that idea that as soon as, like you, we all have kids and is it, at a very, very young age, as soon as you say, no, don't do that. Mm-hmm. They like run to it as fast as they, they are like, all of a sudden, whatever it is I can't have is what I want. Whatever it is I'm not supposed to do is what my focus becomes on that. It begins that attention. And it's like, this is what Paul is saying. This first part of this book, that's what he's saying. He's, when he's talking about the law, he's not talking about this new, a new thing that's been laid out. He's talking about when when we come to this, our problem with this is that, when we're not in this, that sin is lies dead. I, I almost want to think of it like it's lying dormant, like it's in us. It's in us, and yet it's not controlling me yet, but I still have that sin in me. And then when I'm told, when, it, when I'm aware of it, when I'm spending time reading and I'm studying what God says is holy, it rises up in me. It comes alive in me. How would I know a sin is except for sin, for the law? The law is holy and righteous and good. And the reason why we hate it is because it shows us how evil we actually are. Stuff that we didn't even know we had inside of us is lying dormant inside us. And this brings it out. If you ever been reading it and you're like, well, that's stupid. That's ridiculous. That's sin being, being brought to life. Uh, go 13 and 14. Okay. Okay, so then we immediately think, 
Go. <laughs> Don't go. Sorry. Don't go. Sorry, sorry. So then we like... Okay, so then you're like, oh, I don't know, sin coming alive or whatever. And so uh, so we immediately will think these thoughts that I love Paul. He's like addressing our next thought in this. Go ahead. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. Oh, so, so no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual and I am of the flesh sold under sin. Yeah. So here's the thing. This awakens sin in us to show us that sin is sinful it's through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Is that which is good then bring death to me? Did the law bring death to me? No, it was sin already within me that produces the death, that produces the desire to do what I'm not supposed to do. And my focus, it just becomes on that on the thing. Like now I got a pinball machine hiding in my basement because it's not supposed to, and this is what I want. And I just got this and I'm at work, but I'm thinking about going and playing pinball. You know, I'm doing this, but I got, whoa, I can't wait to drop my quarter in there and go. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, the crazy thing is that this time they didn't even have flippers on the pinball. It was so, it was totally chance and random. You pulled the thing and you just let it bounce around and hope you got a high score and you could not stop it. That's gambling. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then they would gamble over it and it was even more. So this, oh. this led to this, led to this, led to this and leads to them smashing the thing with a sledgehammer because it had so absorbed the people when there was, some, there was a war going on. Maybe you don't want me to go this route. I'm curious. So in the garden, there said don't, eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good, of good and, and evil. evil. Yeah. And that wouldn't happen right away. God sees he, mankind is not with it. Should he have that lowered expectation then? Because he's like, obviously right away there's sin. Not right away. For a split second, there's not sin. All of a sudden, boom, there's sin. Throughout, there's more sin, more sin. I'm going to flood, get rid of everyone so we have less sin. Oh, wait, now sin is creeping back in. Should he, I mean, he's had many times to lower the expectations. I'm not saying he should necessarily. I mean, I want I want to have that, that high bar I need to go over. But if I can't get there or I show that it's too difficult, and maybe there's a difference here. So going back to like Acts 15, you only have to do these four things. You don't have to do these to be saved. So the conversation here, because Jesus came, is why we are saved because he were forgiven for all of this sin. But if we don't follow certain things, are we still saved? And is this just a way to get closer to God? Yeah, so in Acts 15, a passage that is not read very often, 
the the beginning of the discussion is what do they need to be saved, and then it's like, well, these four things, and then at the end it says, after it says they should. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble the Gentiles to turn to God, but we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, sexual morality, what has been strangling from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who are proclaiming him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So the idea being, if you become a part of the community of faith, you're going to be in the synagogues every Saturday, and you're going to get Moses. You're going to get the law, the Torah, every week. So you're going to be moving and learning in it. Once you become saved, you now have a, a lifelong journey. So this is saying you're already saved, but you have to grow in your faith. Yes, because he redeemed us from transgressions committed under the first covenant. Like we get to start off clean slated because all of the things that we've done against the first covenant He's paid the price, he's penalty that we were we owed. He bought our ransom. Like we were in captivity. And he pulled us out and paid our ransom to cover all the times where we ignored or disregarded his commandments. So we get to start on a firm footing. And so you may think, and your line of thing takes me right to the next point that God already has set up for us. It's and it, this is what Paul says in Romans seven twenty four. What a wretched man I am. Because when we think about ourselves, and I say, I'm sitting here saying, we're supposed to be doing all this. And we're like, I, there's, there's no way. I can't do it. I can't measure up. What am I supposed to do? What a wretched man am I? That's what Paul says. Who will save me from this body of death? Death. The curse of the law is death. When man sinned, death entered. When we are disobedient to God, we are sin. How do I know what sin is? Except for the law. I'm just, all scriptures here, all, all these New Testament scriptures, the law is holy, righteous, and good, but the law produce, awakens the sin in me, causing me to have death. So death then rules in my body and I see how overwhelmingly sinful I am. What a wretched man am I? How can I be saved from this? Romans 8, 1, Fred, 1 through 6. I will most likely stop you. Of course you will. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Okay, we're just read that again. I'm going to read it again. Okay. Read there's again. no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, what a wretched man am I who will save me. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life, we have the upper room, the law coming down in the form of the Holy Spirit. The law of the spirit of life has set us free 
from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is the Mount Sinai law where it's like, these are these commandments. Now we don't have just the commandments. We have the spirit, the new covenant, the spirit of God put in our hearts. He writes us on our law or on our hearts so that for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh. The law wasn't weak. The flesh made the law ineffective. The law weakened by the flesh could not do. So he sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according to the flesh, but not according to the spirit. He sent Jesus to die. Here it is in another passage, the same exact thing. Jesus came to die to condemn sin so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. If there is no law, there is no requirement necessary. So Jesus comes to condemn the sin in us, that dead sin that's lying dormant and hidden in us. He's come and he's condemned it. He's called it what it is and removed its power from us so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled as I walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Pinball machine, pinball machine, pinball machine. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit, the war effort. There's a higher thing that God has called us to. There's a higher level it's not about what we, it's, God's not trying to just be like, I'm a hateful tyrant overlord and I want to control your diet. I want to control your, your daily rhythms. I want to control your yearly holiday times. I want to control how you deal with your finances. I'm, a, I'm just a controlling. He's like saying, no, see, I see that sin that's dead in you, that's lying dormant in you and your desire to constantly be focused on yourself and I need you to know what's in there and I'm gonna bring it alive so that you realize how much you need help. You need me because you can't, you are a wretched man. And then I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit and I'm gonna put him on you that will awaken the ability to say, I don't need to be focused on the pinball machine. I need to be focused on the war effort. And anything that distracts me from the war effort is sin. 2 Corinthians 3, 7. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory. Okay, so what he's talking about, like, so the law before the redemption is just awakens death. The letters carved on the stone just awakens death, right, in us. Mm -hmm. So if that came with glory, like we think about it, whenever we think about the old covenant or the law, we it's always this negative thing. But when Moses was, was given that, his face shone with a glory. 
He's saying, if it came with glory, how much more the ministry of the Spirit, the contrast of the day of Pentecost when God put the Spirit on us, how much more glory? It's kind of like I was thinking like if we had all the lights off and we turned on a flashlight, you know, like your power goes out in your house and you got to you go dig around, you find the flashlight and it's, it's shining and it's bright. When the power comes back on, all of a sudden your fa- flashlight is like, useless. It's not necessary anymore. The mm-hmm. the glory, he's like saying, how much more glory comes? And and notice it's not a changing of the law. It's a changing of the um the way we approach the the way we have the ability we have to approach the law and what it means for us, what it does in us. It doesn't condemn us anymore because the condemn it, it has been condemned. The sin has been condemned. So it, the law no longer stands accusing us. The, now with the Spirit, we are able to see the law as showing us what sin is so that we can rise above and focus on the war effort. The command by itself, this is Second Corinthians, brings death to us because of the spirit of sin in our lives, yet it came with glory. How much more glory does the command bring with the Spirit. Indeed, in this case, uh, this is 2 Corinthians 3.10, when once, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. That flashlight is still on. It's still bright. It's still shining. It's still doing it. But when you turn on all the other lights, mm-hmm. it's like it didn't change any. It's just in, in perspective to the other it seems to have no glory at all. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites not, may not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So his face would slowly dim and he didn't want them to think that the presence of God was dimming. So he'd cover his face so they wouldn't see it bright. They wouldn't see it dim. So it was kind of like he was hiding it. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. We're, we're still talking this, using this, still the old covenant is still there. He's talking about the law, the Torah, Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We read that and we think, oh, they come to the law and they're veiled. And then when we come to the Lord, the veil, we, we know it's gone. We don't even need that. But that's not what it's saying. It's saying when they come to the law, when you come to this back here without the Spirit of God, without the redemption that comes through the blood of Jesus, condemning the sin in you, without that, you're reading this and it's just like condemnation after condemnation. It's like, I've got to figure out how to not desire the pinball machine. I got to not think about the pinball machine. I got your focus becomes the pinball machine. But when we have the Holy Spirit that comes upon us, it raises us up. The veil is lifted. He's saying when we now when we come to the law through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, the veil is lifted and we see God. We see the glory that surpasses. Can you imagine thinking about the Old Testament, like the, the Torah, thinking about the glory that 
it is, it's the glory of the Lord that says, hey, war effort. We're in a war. We literally are in a war fighting for our lives and the lives of our neighbors and the people that we have influence over and the coworkers and the people beside us on the interstates. We're in a war and we're so stinking worried about what? Pinball, can I not play pinball on this day? What can I do on it? It's like our focus is like hyper-focused on what it is we're not supposed to be doing. And God is saying, that's not what I've done. I condemned the sin in your life so that you can rise above and say, I'm in the war effort. And it says this, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, after saying this about the glory, and we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. Unveiled faces. What are we looking at? They were looking at this with their faces veiled, but we're looking at it with unveiled faces in freedom. And we are being transformed into the same image. Be holy as I am holy. We are being transformed into the image of God from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit came on the same exact day to say, look, we're not doing away with this. We're putting it into its right context. It is showing us who the character of God is as we look at it through the power of the Spirit, through the power of the Messiah. Our eyes are opened, our veil is lifted, and we see glory, and He's transforming us from glory to glory. Moses is read in their synagogues every week. It's day after day, page after page, enlightenment after enlightenment, moving us closer and closer to the image of God, glory after glory, without fear of condemnation. That's what we're called to. Heavenly Father, I just pray, God, that your amazing power of your Holy Spirit, who is the Lord, would come upon us. And that you would help us see with unveiled faces the glory of you as we read your scriptures, as we look at um, things in a brand new way, as we look at the Torah and we say, okay, this is like the heart of God and how do I be transformed into his image? pray that there would be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that the law of your spirit would overcome us, that as we read and that sin comes alive, God, that you would show us how to allow your spirit to just eradicate the sin in our life. As I read and I feel frustrated or confused or or angry even, I pray, God, that you would just come and your Holy Spirit would speak, that you would show us Messiah, that you would show us who you are, that your glory would overwhelm us. And that in doing so, God, our lives would be changed. And in this crazy changing of our lives, this transformation, this metamorphosis, which is that like Greek word, that we would be transformed from caterpillars into butterflies, this huge metamorphosis would would happen and that everybody around us would see it 
and they would not see us as different, but they would see us as your glory as we reflect you in the world around us. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for hanging out with me these last several weeks as I've poured over this. And I just pray, God, that um, truth, truth would be made known. Not what I say or what I think is right, but your truth. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to The Whole Testament. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. So share the show with your friends and family and be sure to leave a rating and review. You can also find us on all the socials by searching at The Whole Testament. All our episodes are available at our website and you can listen to them by heading over to thewholetestament.com. The Whole Testament is supported by people like you. To help us continue the conversation, head to thewholetestament.com and click on the Donate tab. We'll see you next time. about it you're it's gonna be wrong anyway so don't worry <laughs> just just kidding just say Man. just like, say what comes to it's mind like my when wife you think, telling me i'm wrong no matter what it's yeah. great <laughs> does she listen to these no. you're gonna be in so much trouble. wait chicago's in israel no but-